In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AVI, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on a treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. Welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast, Growling. You know who we are. Paul Eater Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. We're so excited. I think they're talking football. It might happen. It might. It might. That's true. I, I just try to latch on to whatever small pieces of good news I can find every day. And I don't know what it will look like. And if we'll be able to watch what it looks like, but I like the idea that it could look like something on a field potentially at some point and maybe I really kind of just figured I, I, I have scrapped the off season program in my head. Mm, me too. I mean, like since Jan, yeah, well, not January since like March, you know, it just seemed like wh- why, why would people be bothered? Like players even want to show up that thing anyway. And now I mean, I, it's not totally out of. The realm that they could try to sneak a mini camp in or something. So I don't think it's being completely stamped out. Although, uh, which is weird. NFLPA president JC Treader threw some immediate, immediate cold water as soon as the report came out saying, yeah, that, uh, no dates have been discussed. And that is, I mean, technically the off season is supposed to begin June 26th. So anything that clubs would want to do after that would have to be negotiated with the union. And the, you know, these guys are all, they, they, they schedule their weddings and their vacations. And now maybe some of those are canceled because of the, the virus, but they, they know every year that they're going to have that like mid June to late July off. That's when they've got a lot of stuff scheduled. So I, I can't imagine that, that the union would, would pass anything no. that would extend beyond, you know, mid June. No, I mean, I think it would be a matter of like, hey, can you get some guys on the field in some capacity for a few days in the building? Because right now, no coaches, no players are allowed in the building. You have team employees, team personnel. I think rehabbing players can come in and, and get checked out or whatever. Um, but you, and you have a percentage, basically 50% of your workforce is allowed to be in the office at one time. Um, that's, that's where it's at right now, but there's a thought that coaches could get in soon, but at that point, you know, you could have some, some sort of potential for players and coaches talking face to face, sort of, uh, all of that is obviously, we'll see how that all plays out, but there, there is a chance of some of that and, and training camp, maybe even starting on time and I being, I, that feels like that feels like the most feasible thing of all of it, right? When you look at where we're at right now, mm-hmm. is it's just practice. You wouldn't have fans there anyway. You can find if you've got the players agreeing to participate in practice uh, by the time you get to late July. You know that feels like maybe the, one of the more feasible aspects of all of this that you could actually pull off. They really don't have to agree, do they? I mean, that's that is that's mandated reporting time. And if if the league says, "Hey, we're open for business," players, even if players are uncomfortable with it, I, I guess they would either be facing a fine for not showing up, or they would have to show up. Yeah, well, I mean, there's got to be. I mean, there's got to be some sort of rules on how to pull that off, 
mean, you can't just say, I'm just saying there has, there's some sort of agreement that has to be figured out on how to, how to actually do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's contact sport. And so anyway, I'm fascinated to see what happens with that. And maybe we'll get like team issued bubbles can for media. Can I just show up in like an actual, like one of those, one of those bubbles that they have. They used, they had one of those at Newport on the levee where it was like a big pool and people would be on those bubbles and they'd like go try to crash in each other on the water. You ever seen that? Yes, I have. And I've seen them play like soccer. Let me guess. You probably participated those... in it and no, you probably I like had some total jerk move where you push somebody out or pop their bubble with like s- some sort of firework. <laughs> I would do style. that. If I, if I ever took part, <laughs> I would be the guy to do that, but I've, I've never done one of those. <laughs> that's how we're going to be. That, that That's how I envision us at training camp, like trying to roll our bubbles over to A.J. Green and ask him if he's going to participate. Hobson's <laughs> dominating the questions, so one of us just reach out and pop his bubble. Oh, Bobby, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, we're, we're probably going to be watching. If there's anything going on on the field, I have a feeling we might be watching from the bridge. Although outside is a little di- – I don't think we're going to be going in the locker room for a long, long time, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh no, no. I would. I certainly would not anticipate that. I would think anything, anything happens with this season. There's going to be a whole lot of Zoom conferences and things like that. And that's fine. I do think viewing of practice seems like one of the more feasible aspects of this that you could pull off. And that's important to me. With no fans in there, people rely on that. People are latching on to that. Um, finding some way to to get some sort of select media viewing. I mean. I mean, you can put us up in socially distanced perches up in the corners on a bleachers. I mean, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and keep us away from everything just to be able to be there. Even if, I mean, you know me, I just want to be there. If they were to do something in June, even if it was nothing, I'm just there. I'm here to take attendance. I'm here to see 18 and 28. And realistically, we wouldn't have to be that much farther away than we are anyhow. It, 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 you're right. That that would be a, a, a pretty easy solution. The, the big thing would be keeping all of the, the media apart because we like to, we tend to kind of congregate together and do small talk when there's, when they're doing the calisthenics and that kind of stuff, the boring part of it. I don't want to be next to you. <laughs> I got no trust. I've seen, I've your, I've seen your facial hair. It's out of control. Oh, it's gone. You look sickly. I shaved it the the day after <laughs> Mother's it. Day. Yes. Wow! Look at you. Look at you. Unruly. It got. To, it was a pain to deal with. It was no longer. It was more of. It was more of an issue dealing with it than it was not shaving. So now I'm back to shaving like once a week. That's that's respectable in these times. It's respectable. Uh, the one thing I will say uh, about getting whatever they can find a way to get, you know. Or whether it's some Joe Burrow throwing session at Athens High School, which has sort of been hinted at, is they just need to get Joe Burrow out there with these dudes in some capacity. You know, I go back to how much people talked about during the lockout uh, they gained from Andy Dalton getting the team together as a rookie at UC for practices, you know, and or being part of that and them trying to start get things moving in the right direction. I mean, I, I think some way to get these guys together in some capacity on a field, even if it's just, th- you're just throwing. Yeah. You know, it, I, I think there is value in that, whatever they can get uh, from a player's perspective and just, you know, getting some on field time and just, yeah, that's, it matters big time for the Bengals more so than a lot of teams because they are just throwing a rookie starter right into the mix immediately. My son is back at OU, and there's no classes. There's nothing going on there. I should just say, you just go camp out at Athens High School, and when you see activity starting to stir, text me, and I'll be there in two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, what else is he doing? Well, don't answer that, Jay. Don't answer that. You don't want to know. I think we know. He's doing <laughs> what I did. Things. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully not all those things as we learn from you bragging about your days back, <laughs> your probations. Uh, I want to, I want to b- dive into, uh, we've kind of, I guess it's, it's a little bit of old news now, but we didn't have the full results posted last week from our fan survey. 
Uh, and there were, I, I'm not, we're not going to jump up into everything because we have kind of talked about it in, in increments over the last few pods. If you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to some of those. Uh, but there's one thing, one overarching theme from the fan survey that I think I know matters a lot and that is really interesting to me. Uh, and that was the, overwhelming consistency across multiple questions kind of digging at the same concept of optimism of real real optimism and i i just think that is really impactful when you consider the toxic nature of the fan base in recent years it's been impossible. I mean, it's been really hard to cover this team because you can't cover the logistics of everyday football. You can't cover the ins and outs of roster construction, of starting, sitting, roster battles, competitions, games. Lord, games. Breaking down games, you know? And because it's all met with, eh, they suck. Mike Brown sucks. Team sucks. They're idiots. They're cheap. Blah. Right? Like, every single thing you try to talk about, even if it's like, let's talk about the pluses and minuses of the left guard position. Ugh, Mike Brown sucks. That's not the answer here, right? <laughs> but that is what it has been for the last three, four years. And I, I do feel like, and, and, and a big part of that that tone that is 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 the is a big part of the story and is and is real and earned but i also think the fact that you're seeing this optimism i do think opens it up to really have better discussions about the fun parts of a football team and that's the games the roster decisions extensions battles position battles plays how players are adjusting things like that is is part of what really makes all of this fun and i just feel like now it feels like the gates have been open to do that again because in the past you almost didn't even want to do that it felt unnecessary frivolous you know and i mean when a team is winning and it's the season's going well they don't have to be great even if they're around 500 you you have more time to just kind of chat these guys up one on one. When they're losing like they were last year, none of the none of them are sticking around in the locker room for the open locker room period. They're they're going off to the players' lounge. They're going to the, the cafeteria, places we're not allowed, and you miss out on those those chances of of you know just kind of getting to know a guy, and then all of a sudden find out he's got. Uh, you know, a, a funny hobby or he's got an interesting backstory that nobody's written about before. And you come up with these really interesting stories that way. And like it got to a point last year where even, you know, once they were oh and six, oh and seven, even if you came up across something like that, you had to really consider, do I even want to write this? Because people are, are, are going to look at you sideways for, you know, Hey, they're terrible. They're, they're winless. Why are you writing these puff pieces or positive pieces? It just, it, you're right. It, it is so hard to, to cover a, a team like that, especially last year. But, it, I mean, it's been four straight losing years, but last year was the worst because it, it really limited what you could write about and and it it really kind of limited what the reactions would be when you did write something because it was. It was all, doesn't matter, they're terrible. doesn't matter. As long as Mike Brown's the owner, they're never going to win. I mean, the, the responses are the same over and over and over again. But I, I, do, I do think there's a couple reasons – well, there's, there's more than a couple, but some reasons for the overwhelming optimism in the survey. Um, one is that this is, the athletic is a pay site. So, so people that are paying to read about the Bengals are the diehards, the long-term fans. They're also the ones, those are the only ones that are left. Everybody else has jumped ship. If, if you're still a fan of this team, you're probably by nature an optimistic person. So I, I do think that kind of played into it along with, with the whole Burrow effect. I, I, I do think that really kind of opened some eyes for some fans that, that yeah. were on the fence or had jumped ship and, and kind of brought them back and has them in that, that one pie sliver of cautiously optimistic. 
Yeah, I would I would agree. The other the other I mean it's Joe Burrow is the base, is the foundation yeah. of all of this, without doubt. But there's a lot of other stuff there. The other interesting part of that is you still have sixty six percent saying they don't feel valued as a fan. You know? And that's sort of the one part where they haven't been able to get over the hump yet and finding as they try to reconnect with their fan base a little bit. Um, I, that, that still is kind of hanging out there and figuring out what that means. But I do think it's, I think it's going to be interesting the way that people, in, you know, embrace the, the coverage of the, not just the coverage of the team, but the way they, view the team when when you're not angry the second you see the word Bengals it changes everything and I think that that was always kind of the part of the conversation over the last few years and it just won't be now there's a little bit lord lord help me don't strike me dead right now (laughs) there's a little bit of benefit of the doubt in people's heads because I think there because of that whether he was cautious optimism or more than that, um, and maybe unhealthy expectations at this point. It's, it's fair to talk about. Like, are people having too high of expectations where if this team comes out and goes six and ten, is there, is there, are they back to anger in the streets? Whereas that's a four game improvement with a rookie quarterback. In a, you know, I, I mean, is that what's what's a realistic expectation that that shouldn't make fans mad, but maybe would? I think seven's the magic number. I think if they get to seven and nine, and they they really feel like they're building something, you're right. Six and ten would be a two hundred percent improvement over in terms of win total. But I still I I still think that some of that optimism would kind of drip away if it was if it was that bad. But all of a sudden, seven and nine, you're one game away from five hundred. It's a five game improvement. Very few teams do that. Um I, I think I think that would be the number that for for the Bengals fans, now I think nationally it would have to be even higher than that. And it is weird that like, you know, we've talked about it the whole offseason, the national narrative about the Bengals ruin quarterbacks and Joe Burrow should pull an Eli, that that whole thing. And now all of a sudden these the the, the they're like a not a sexy team, but a sneaker, a sleeper team to, to suddenly make the playoffs. You're, you're starting to see some of the, the national people buying in with the draft they had, um, even after Burrow and what they did in free agency. Just how quickly everything can flip there. But that, that is different. I think they, they have to be eight and eight, nine and seven for, for the national folks to really kind of jump on board, uh, and think they're for real. But I do think, Seven and nine is the magic number for, for Bengal fans, for the hardcore fans to say, okay, now they're going in the right direction. And you would assume some of those big wins come late in the year and you see progress, uh, particularly at the quarterback position and all of that. It, to me, and we love doing this, it's embarrassing how much we love doing this type of stuff. And I am like raising my hand in the front row, like, yeah, I'm going to do this again. We love like looking at other years and comparing like what it could be or what it should look like. I do go back to 2003 and to me a successful year. Like if you were to look at that year on its face and talk about eight and eight, um, you know, you would not view that as a success. I mean, you didn't make the playoffs, you went eight and eight, whatever. John Kitna. But, <laughs> but in that year, there was a real sense of momentum as the year went along and, and, and character traits started to develop that were real confident and winners and Chad and the, and the guarantee and the Kansas City win and moments that people still talk about very emotionally to this day about the connection to that win and that game and a lot of the characters on that team, Chad specifically, who's still like ambassador of all ambassadors getting letters from the team with cigars, which is awesome. But that season, one where real momentum was formed and even a couple of moments given to fans, it felt like, okay, something is happening here, right? And 
it doesn't have to be perfect and it can be very sloppy and come maybe kind of ugly early, but as if it builds and it builds in the right way and produces a couple moments and some important developments, particularly from the quarterback position, you can like that would be a striking success at seven and nine with that type with a, a game or two late, you know, uh, maybe winning four out of your last six, something to that effect would be real. And I think that's where maybe the expectations have to fall is you have to understand it through a big picture lens in that respect. And you, you bring up a really good point because you look at eight and eight coming off. What were they? Was it two and 14 and in O two? Correct. So that, that's a huge leap, eight and eight. And you look at it as in, in the macro and, and you say, yes, that was a great improvement. But the point you made about winning games late is so much more important than maybe the, the total number of wins because if, if you look back at that 03 season, they lost their final two games. I mean, they were eight and six. They were seven and five. They were in the hunt. They beat the Steelers to go seven and five. They were in the hunt for the playoffs in Marvin's first year and they lost three of their final four and their final two. And I think that sapped. I, I, I think there was still some momentum built. People realized Marvin had something, but that really kind of sapped away what they had built in the middle of the season that, that you talked about the Kansas city win the, when the chiefs were nine and zero and they upset them. That was part of a four game win streak. That's when it really looked like, Hey, they got this thing turned around and then to go down the stretch and go one and three, um, you, you, you can already hear it now. It's, it's the whole refrain of same old Bengals. So yeah, more, more so important than the total number of wins might be the, the total number of wins in November and December. Yeah, and and at least one really impactful one, you know, one real Steelers, win. Monday night, right? If Steelers are real, you know, um, you know, real win out there against a good team in a big spot that's playing for something. All that. A lot of time for us to discuss that. We'll try to see if they can have a training camp first. Uh, <laughs> but you know, just it's some some food for thought off the survey. Anything else off the survey that you wanted to touch on before we uh, move it forward? Well, you mentioned it, the, the, the fans not feeling respected and valued. I, I thought that was going to be closer to, I was really surprised. I thought it was going to be more of a 50-50 split as opposed to a two to one. No, they don't value us. That's, that they have made strides this year in the social media aspect, but there's still a lot more to do, um, in, in terms of branding and, and really making the fans feel a part of this. And, and I know they're working towards it, but that, that was, that, that surprised me that it was, it was that negative, especially when the tone of everything else with the survey seemed to be so positive. And then the, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by the number of people that, that said, yes, I do want to see Andy Dalton win a Super Bowl. And maybe, maybe that number would have been different had he gone to the AFC or even in, in the AFC North in the division. But the fact that he was with the Cowboys and the fact that he was such a, a solid player, a good citizen. Um, it just, I don't know. It was just kind of reaffirming that, that, that people are rooting for that guy, even though he's not a part of the organization anymore. Yeah. I think, I think people eventually turned and came to terms with, with Andy and, and I think his, I think his legacy here is going to be viewed the right. I think history is going to view him the right way. And not the way we all maybe thought that he was going to be viewed midway through, uh, when, when there was so much criticism and negativity surrounding him. I think, and I think enough people have been educated on the big picture of who he was here that, and it's not as personal now because you're not invested in that, in him and winning games, his career and those postseason losses are all, you know, you've had time to heal those wounds. Hmm. You, you can, I think, I think, Andy certainly ends up on the right side of history here for sure. And with the, with the fans that, that appears to be more than the, more than just a, a small bit of the case here. Yeah. Again, it's all about timing. You flip his career and, and if he, he four straight losing seasons to start his career and then he finishes it with five straight playoff berths and five straight first round exits. I, I, I do think then, then the narrative is different and, and, all those things that were being said about him in 13, 14, and 15. 15 wasn't on him. He, he got hurt. But, you know, as those playoff losses started to mount and the, the criticism started to come, I, I do think that 
might have been more of his lasting legacy if you, if you you know completely mirror image and flip his his career here. If you flip his career here, I don't know that he makes it to year five. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. I mean, are, is, are you bringing him back for year five if his last four years were what he was, 16, 17, 18, 19, where he got benched in the middle of the year? Yeah. yeah. That's a whole other – there's a lot of people that wouldn't make it to 15. <laughs> they'd they'd have been drafted Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota in 2000. Right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's a that's – a, the darkest timeline we don't need to go down. Um, before we move on, I want to point out that Jay and I have bad coffee habits. And you don't want to see us without coffee. It's not good. But to avoid the morning sluggishness that Jay and I would have in the midday slump, you have to make sure you're hydrated. That's our company called Hydrant. Creates flavored electrolyte packets. You mix it directly in your water. Make hydrating your body easy. Delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Jay, do you know what the four essential electrolytes that your body needs are? I know what my body needs, and I, they're not electrolytes, so go ahead. Tell me what they are. <laughs> what, is it? What, are, what are yours? Yours nicotine, alcohol. Nicotine, saturated fat, alcohol, <laughs> and chocolate. Make a death. <laughs> uh, technically it's sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. Very close to what you need, but it helps you hydrate quickly, stay hydrated all day. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan. You can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash football. It's drinkhydrant.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash football. Uh, Jay, you have stats. I do. Uh, this and I'm interested. Play- I'm interested in them. You, you teased them to me before we even came on and I don't yeah. have all the answers, but I want to hear more. I'm very intrigued by how, what you have spent far too much time researching. Yes, it did take quite a while, but I, I went back, I went and looked through the Super Bowl era. So starting in 1966, uh, to present, there have been 162 teams that have gone into a season having lost at least or having at least four consecutive losing seasons. So this this it builds on itself. So if you're a team that has lost, you have six straight losing seasons, then then that's your your year when you had four, your year when you had five, your year when you had six. That all they all count. So 100 162 times it's happened. Uh, how many? What percentage do you think have snapped that drought with a playoff appearance? A playoff appearance? Yes. I mean, it's, it can't. 15%? Close. Uh, 16.7%. Hey, look at that. It. So that, well, that is pretty good. That's a good. But it's a low number. I mean, it's a low. It's, it's very low. low. Um, there, there's actually, before I get some of the other numbers in here, I'll, I'll, I'll quiz you again. There are three teams. That have never lost four straight, or never had four straight losing seasons. Can you name those three teams? Oh wow! Pittsburgh. Nope. Pittsburgh has had some. Four straight they had some bad teams? teams before the the Bradshaw yeah. era. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dallas. Nope. They had some bad before the Aikman era. Yeah, but that's four. Yeah, you'd think you'd sneak a winner in there somewhere. Um, I mean, New England had bad teams. They've had the recent run. Um, that's hard. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. One kind of makes sense because they've been good and they're they're fairly young. The Ravens coming on board. Oh, in okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Then the other one, which was kind of surprising, they're sitting on. On three right now, uh, but right across the beltway, the Washington Redskins. They've never lost. Really? They've never had four consecutive losing seasons. They've had multiple For threes. all their last 20 years of awfulness, they have not had four straight losing seasons? Nope. They, like I said, they've had multiple threes, but never had, never done it four years in a row. How about that? And then the, uh, the other other fighting Zims of, uh, Vikings of Minnesota. Um, they've never, really? never done it. And the, the, the just last year, the Jets did it for the first time. 
which surprised me as well. But they're sitting on four straight losing seasons right now because they, they had their fourth in a row last year. So wow, the, these that teams, is interesting results. The, the, these teams, it, getting to the optimism part of this, um, not only have 16.7%, which, you know, it's close to 20. That's a one in five shot. Um, three teams have, have snapped these droughts and actually made it to the Super Bowl. And one of them happened last year. We've compared the, the 49ers with the, the senior bowl to the Super Bowl thing that they did it last year. They were riding four straight losing seasons and then all of a sudden they snap out of it and, and win a division title and number one seed and, and make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, they lost, of course, in the Super Bowl, but, uh, two other teams have gone to the Super Bowl and won it after at least four straight losing seasons and, uh, one of them will not be pleasing for Bengals fans. It was the 1981 49ers. That was the Super Bowl 16 when the Bengals and 49ers both went from worst to first. But the, the 49ers had been riding four straight losing seasons and then they, they go 13 and three and go on to beat the Bengals. The other one, the 1999 Rams had lost, had nine straight losing seasons. And wow. then Kurt Warner comes along 13 and three and they, they win the Super Bowl. So there, there's other ones out there. Seven seven of the teams have have made it to a, a title game, and of course the, the the three Super Bowl appearances and the two championships. So it's it's not unheard of, uh, but but it's still it's still the odds are not in your favor. But at least that is something a little bit of optimism for Bengals fans that that it can happen. Sixteen point seven. Hey, if you told Bengals fans today sixteen point seven percent chance you're going to make the playoffs this year, I think a lot of them would take it. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I'll take that. I'm, I'm all in. Because <laughs> uh, it's just that, – that's really interesting though. I mean we have – you know, if there is a model that the Bengals have been building, and we've touched on this a number of times, we especially did back around the Senior Bowl, Super Bowl pods that we did, is the San Francisco model. I think they internally view them that through that lens. I think they see a lot of similarities in what they think that they're doing or attempting to do. Um, in that respect is build a culture, get the quarterback. You know, you feel like you have a lot of smart, young offensive minds in the building. That's what you hope. Uh, that's what you hope you're following in that path. So interesting to see them, you know, a good point that, that they're on that list too. Um, Jay, I, 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 we have to, I do want to have a little sponsor right here, but it, to talk about it, I have a good question for you. Okay. I'm actually really curious the answer to this. What what was the first cologne you ever wore? Oh my gosh. I could see you being a heavy cologne guy in the eighties. yeah. Mullets I, and I, cologne. I, Mullets and cologne go together like peanut butter and jelly, baby. Yeah, I was I, I wore polo uh in high school, but I can't remember I can't remember if I had anything before that or not. That's let's go that let's go with that. Let's go with polo. The original Ralph Lauren Polo Cologne, uh, probably right around the time I started driving, around 16, 17 years old. How about that? Dude, I had the same bottle. I, one girl in high school told me that Eddie Bauer Adventurer smelled good, and I bought a bottle of it. I was never a cologne person, like, at all, ever, really. I literally had this. I might. I think I still have the same bottle from, like, 20 years ago. Like, that I did, with, like, maybe probably half left. Where I just, I had it, if I ever felt the need to like, you know, I just, I never liked, I, I, I always found that to be an interesting concept. But anyway, the point is that it's important to not stink and it's important to smell good, even if you're wearing the same polo thing that you wore in high school. But getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. It's all easy now. It used to be hard. Now it's easy. Uh, it'd be a great gift for Father's Day if you're looking for a gift for your dad. You can take a, you know, take a quiz about this. It's a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. You want to try to fit your personality, one for work, one for play. It's totally risk-free, free shipping, free returns. All you got to do is check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. It's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co, and use my promo code, Athletic. To get 10% off your first purchase is hawthorne.co. Use my promo code ATHLETIC. Get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. You can smell good. Don't smell bad. 
don't smell like polo. Don't smell like Hamilton. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can pick on Hamilton. But, you, but you I mean, nobody. I mean, no, but yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but no, I mean, no one's bottling and selling Hamilton cologne. We do have the uh, best water in the world, so why not? Cologne oh, is you know what? Water. Excellent, rep- excellent retort. I, I stand corrected. Touche, Jay. <laughs> they should be bottling. They should be bottling special colognes to go with the special water they have at Hamilton. You're right. Do you wear cologne? Um, no, I can't tell you the last time I wore cologne. I, I, you know, I have. No, I'm just not. I don't have my natural musk. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, so I also I had a, we had a run past her boot. We have to run past her boot since we did. We got Jade's got stats, and it relates to what we first talked about here. I wanted to sneak this in. I'm curious your thoughts, and it can go in our competition, our Excel spreadsheet, one of your many Excel spreadsheets. Um. Run past or boot, when is the first on-field activity for the Bengals? June. June, some some form of mini-camp or anything. Training camp day one, which is, you know, July 20-whatever, 8th. End of July at some point. Or a later date. Run past or boot. Uh, I'm going to run with the later date because I don't see the mini-camp happening. I think there's just... Like we talked in the opening, there, there's too many issues with the the players' union. There's too many issues with not really knowing where they stand with the virus. And we're, we're talking, it's like two weeks away um, So from when it would normally be. And, and it just, with all the states reopening, everybody's waiting to see if, if that, you know, the, the cases and the deaths are going to start climbing again with people kind of ignoring social distancing. So... I'll boot June. I just can't see that happening. And, and one of the reasons I do think training camp is going to be pretty close to on time. But if if I remember, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was the 28th or the 29th was what the original start date would have been. It might have even been the 30th. It was going to be that last Thursday in July, and it could easily get pushed back a weekend or a week. So I, I don't think it's going to be much later than the 1st of August, but I do think that is the most likely answer is, is sometime in August, sometime in early August. So I'll, I'll run with later, I'll pass on July, and I'll boot June. Because I think that pulling off practices will be an easier thing to do, um, certainly then when you get into the issues with season, I'm going to run with training camp starting on time. I'm going to pass on a later date, and obviously I'm going to boot June with you. I think that's the most bootable. But I I don't know. Something in me kind of feels like training camp might actually go off uh, on time. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I want to make sure we snuck that run pass or boot in before we, uh, before we got out of here. I also wanted to shout out uh, our colleague who I – have my WARP in Cincinnati uh, podcast with with the Reds. Uh, C. Trent Rosecrans has a story about um, reporter disaster stories, <laughs> which we have many of, and bad questions, bad tones, bad incidents, bad reactions, uh, bad timing, uh, including a great story of Bill Cook and Anthony Munoz. Uh, if you have a time to go read that, I highly recommend it. But it made me curious because neither of us had stories shared in there. If you had any from specifically from the Bengals beat or anywhere else of just things gone horribly awry. Yeah, I had I had two from the Bengals beat, and it wasn't one. One could have been so much worse. Um, it ended up being kind of humorous. But the first one was in 2013, the Hard Knocks year. Um, there was a a preseason game. And I can't remember who my target was, but I I blew off the Marvin postgame presser and went straight into the locker room. And I was the only one. Like all the TVs, everybody else went in for Marvin. So I'm just standing in the, the locker room waiting to find whoever it was I was going to talk to. And 
all of a sudden, I can't remember who recognized it first, but it was either Pac-Man or James Harrison noticed like a little spy camera on top of their Gatorade cooler. And they went and got it and, and thought it was legitimately like they knew hard knocks was there, but they legitimately thought it was some short sort of shady spy camera. And then they, they like came over to me and accused me of being a cop and putting it there and started frisking me. And I was like, what? I mean, <laughs> I had covered Pac-Man the entire year before he knew I wasn't a cop and James Harrison had been there the entire the training camp, OTAs, he, I can't remember when he signed, but he'd been there long enough too. I'd been in enough, I'd never talked to him one on one, but I'd been in enough scrum. He, they knew I wasn't a cop, but it was, it was just really uncomfortable with them like frisking me down and you don't know whether to be laugh it off or be pissed like they're invading your space. It was, it was a really uncomfortable moment. Um, the other one was a year later. We were at a, a, a locker room. We were at a, a interview scrum at Burfick's locker and his locker was next to Terrence Newman's. And uh, Terrence Newman could have a second career as a pickpocket because he lifted my wallet from my back pocket and I had no idea. And when the interview with him was over, he's like, let's see what Jay's got here. And he started going through my wallet in front of everybody. And I was like, oh, my God, what's the, it, it, I hope there's nothing embarrassing in there. And there wasn't. It, it was, you know, a subway card and a bunch of nondescript stuff. But it's like, yeah, that that could have been. It could have been much worse had there been anything incriminating in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. Terrence Newman was fantastic. I, yes. he was one of my favorite people to talk to. Like he just genuinely wanted to be entertained and at your expense probably, but he really enjoyed the back and forth of it. Like mm-hmm. he didn't really have any bound. He'd been in the league forever. He just, I always enjoyed, I mean, he, he would have great back and forth with me where he, he loved, he loved to turn it on me. He, he loved whenever an interview ended because then he'd be like, all right, I got questions for you now. <laughs> and he would just like start firing off all kinds of Lord knows what. And I always, I always thought that was fantastic. And he loved, he was the only one to drink red wine on our Beyond the Stripe show. And I always appreciated him for that because he's a big wine guy, as am I. Uh, James Harrison involved in one of mine, which is James was notorious for being very, uh, specific about how he wanted these things to go for his year that he was there. He wanted no pregnant pauses in the conversation or it would end that we, everybody found that on like the first conference call. I think he's like, he sent a pregnant, he called it a pregnant pause and then I, he basically like ended it. Like it was just, he was, he talked on a certain day at a certain time and anything else that was not right about that, it would end. Like is, and this happened over and over and over again. There was a point in that season, later in that season where they were switching him from kind of being more of an outside linebacker to more what he had done in Pittsburgh where he was, you know, hand in the dirt. Everybody's, James is talking at 930 on Friday. Everyone goes over to James 930, going to talk. There he is. Everybody goes over there. Big gaggle of TVs, everybody else. I'm kind of saddled on the side. And James is standing there waiting for people to ask him questions. No one's saying – there's like this weird freezing thing because people were very intimidated by him. Understandably so. He's in, He can be – he's an intimidating guy to deal with. And I just know this whole thing will end if someone doesn't ask something soon. And I didn't really – I was just trying to get it. I wanted to get just get a ball rolling. Just ask a question so he doesn't end it before it starts. And I was just like, so, you know, I said something to the effect of, like, how, how comfortable are you going back to having your hand on the ground now? And he, he gave a look to me. And it was admittedly a stupid, in retrospect, a dumb question. Like, obviously, he did his entire career. He's, like, you know, great player for doing it. I was just trying to get the ball rolling, and I did it stupidly. A look like I've never been given by an athlete before. And he's just staring at me. And he just, you ever watch football before? I was like, uh, occasionally. And he's like, you ever watch me in Pittsburgh? And I was like, occasionally. And he's just like, that's what I did all the time. All right, everybody. Interview's over. And like, that's it. It can just end that quickly. It's one dumb question. That's all it takes. And everybody, all the like, you know, the gaggle of like 30 people with cameras and stuff all put their tails between their legs and like slog back across the locker room while I just like have to stand there and take it. 
<laughs> this one dumb question like ended every everybody has to go back to their newsrooms empty handed. I don't know. Dana asked some dumb softball question with about James Harrison have his hand in the dirt and he just flambeed him. It was it's a lot. It ball. was totally awful. It was totally awful. But it, it was like, eh, it's, it's, I'm glad to have a James Harrison story. What people don't understand is, I mean, so you, that's not. It it wasn't a great question, but that that's how interviews go. Sometimes you ask just an easy one. Sometimes you ask a question that you know the answer to just to get the guy yes. talking. And and you know they're they're not all James Harrison types. It, it usually goes the other direction. It usually loosens them up, and and that did the opposite. It would have been worse, in my opinion, in that in that moment, in my split second thumb decision. I thought it would have been worse for this thing to end without a question being asked. Right, so yeah. if I just had to just say something to make the ball roll here, then I will, and then the ball rolled over me. His name was James Harris, <laughs> but so be it. So be it. I also didn't park in his parking spot, which he. Oh yeah, that was not to be done. <laughs> James was very serious about his parking spot and nobody being in it, or else. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to say. I'm just going to say. I feel like physical harm could have definitely been involved. If you parked in a spot. Yeah, because I don't think he was ever really happy to be here. He was, he was just like his only option. Remember his opening press conference and someone asked him his thoughts on Andy Dalton and he's like, I really don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> just here for a paycheck. Uh, yeah. Between that and many off the record stories you could tell about covering Adam Jones or Tez. Yeah. I mean, there's always lots of, I mean, there's a million of those, but I don't, I, I never, I, I never felt, uh, if it's about like reporters doing dumb things and it sending everything sideways or whatever, I never felt like in that respect with them, but there's definitely been highly entertaining and <laughs> nervous moments. <laughs> I can say my no actually my most nervous moment with Adam came after a game in 2000 and 12 or 13, 13 or 14. It was the end of Leon Hall's run, pretty close to it. And it was game against Pittsburgh. Martavis Bryant toasted him for like a 94-yarder, if you remember that game. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Leon Hall's locker was right next to Adams. And I had a – you know, I don't, not, I'm not going to say I had some great relationship with Leon Hall, but it was – we'd had, you know, many, many, many – conversations good ones he'd been on our show before like you know it was it was fine so i felt comfortable going up to him after the game and he's he's down obviously he's sitting in his seat i said hey leon do you do you have a second do you, do you want to talk are you are you open to talk or whatever you know essentially opening it up for him to say no if he wanted to and he said no that's cool i'll talk and i just opened with a basic question about something about you know what and the, obviously the long play you know what what did you kind of see as far as coverage on that? How did that play? I'll talk me through that play or whatever. Adam is right next to him and just like, you have to answer that. It was, it was something like a bone coverage or miscommunication, miscommunication. You have to answer that. And he's like yelling at me. And I'm just like, Adam, look, I, I asked the man if he wants to talk. He said, yes. I asked him a very basic question. Like, I think, you know, he's just like trying to jump over me and trying to cut the interview off before I even started. And so I again was like, are you sure, Leon, you're cool to talk? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. And cause he, you know, <laughs> Leon Hall used to Adam Jones. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very comfortable. He's like, yeah. And tried again. And again, Adam came at me again. And I was just like, eventually Leon was kind of told him to calm down and he answered my question. And I was like, that's enough. I don't, I don't need to come over here and be in the middle of some incident or whatever but it was like that's kind of what it was like after a loss like adam was looking for a fight i mean i it was like after a loss i could guarantee adam was gonna was gonna snap at me at some point whether it was in a in an interview with somebody else he just wanted it like he that's the kind of guy he was like he got he was a hyper competitive who is marvin used to call him like a game day doberman or something like that i don't know what it was some weird Marvinism, but he it's true because he's just in when he loses he's insane afterwards, and he would always be going after me and I sometimes I'm sure rightfully so whatever but 
that was one of my that was my most probably my most memorable post game was was being in the middle of this like <laughs> he's yelling at me Leon's trying to give me an answer I was like this is so weird I'm getting out of here but Adam after the win in Cleveland uh, when he came out of the shower and said Adam Jones is going live and proceeded Garbage. to call Terrell tra- prior trash over and over and like rattling the trash can saying you in there Terrell you in there you in there it was so real. That was that was incredible. Uh, I will say, funny f- funny side note because I always say that I always have that line of whenever I'm looking for something like you in there because I always go back to Adam Jones when he's looking for Terrell Pryor. Terrell, you in there? So I always whenever I'm looking for something, so I do this and I make oatmeal for my daughter in the mornings, right? And I literally when I when I we open up the top and see if there's any. If there's enough in there, if we need to get a second one out, we always open it up. And I, she now says it the same way I do. She always goes, you in there to the oatmeal. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's all you could hope for. You just hope to raise them right. You just hope to raise them right. You should take oatmeal, a video you in there? it to Adam. He would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. I think that about wraps us up. Good times. Good times had by y'all. Um, we'll be back next week. Also, reminder. In a couple weeks, we are going to have a our Bengals portion of our Game Changers series looking back at some game-changing moments, games, teams uh, from the past in Cincinnati sports. And this one is going to go because the last one was the Reds one. If you haven't had a chance to go back, are reliving the 1995 uh, playoff advancement and team for the Reds. The last time the Reds advanced in the postseason, we're going back to the last time the Bengals advanced in the postseason. We're going to look back at the 1990 playoffs, the win over 41-14 win over Houston, and the 2010 loss to the LA Raiders, the bow game, the beginning of the curse, uh, and that team, and the beginning of the breakup, and the beginning of the lost decade. Uh, and I, I just have to say, already going through a lot of the newspaper clippings and starting the rewatch, there's a lot to get to. There's a, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be in a couple of weeks. Uh, so we should have a, a really fun podcast coming out with that. And if you haven't listened to the 1995 Reds one, I highly recommend it. Jeff Brantley was incredible talking about that team. You had, they played in LA the day of the, the OJ verdict. You had like James Brown faxed the booth, uh, at one point, which is fantastic. Uh, you had Hal Morris, Barry Larkin's MVP year. They end up getting swept by the Braves. Lots of it myself. It was Trent, Mo Egger, and then Brantley joined us as well. Really, just really interesting stuff. Uh, and I, I, I found it fascinating. If you're a Reds fan, I think you'll love love this. And, and if you're a fan of other teams, I think you're going to love this series. Uh, but the Bengals one, looking back at the 1990 team and playoffs, uh, is coming up in a couple weeks. So look forward to that. But we'll be back with a regular next week. So, Jay? Hope all is well with you, and uh, we will talk to everybody next time on Podcast Ground. Have a good one, everybody.